to this podcast designed to help aspiring teachers take those fearful first steps with courage and determination. My name's Andrea. I've been working in the TEFL industry for many years in various roles, including head of studies, director of studies, teacher trainer, and as a freelance teacher. If you've ever felt nervous about starting out as a new teacher, you're not the only one. So many people are taking those fearful first steps after gaining their certificate, but you don't have anything to worry about. Here you're going to receive tips, tricks and useful tactics that will set you up for success in your job in the TEFL industry. During this podcast, I'm interviewing Sean O'Malley from one of Madrid's largest language academies, Interlang. Sean is going to give you an insight into what language academies are looking for when it comes to teacher performance in the classroom. And he knows exactly what he's talking about. Sean's been in EFL management for 20 years with responsibility for a team of 170 teachers. Sean, welcome. Lovely to have you join us on the podcast today. Hi, Andrea. Yeah, thank you for inviting me. That's no problem. It's great to have you here. We're excited to hear all about your views on teaching in the classroom today. In fact, you're actually going to be offering your expert advice on do's and don'ts in the classroom, which I think is a brilliant topic for our new teachers who are listening in. Let's hear first, though, how you came to be here in Madrid. Well, a long story. I mean, my relationship with Spain started because I was working for International House. I was working for them in Finland, in Helsinki. Not many opportunities there. They speak such good English. So I put in for a transfer to International House San Sebastian, where I could do the the Delta. And I worked there three years. I ended up going back to London, but then I met my my wife and uh, fell in love and all that and decided to return to Spain and to Madrid, which is where she's from. And really, that's the reason I came back. It wasn't so much a career move because I, I was working for a, you know, a, a good school in London, the London School of English. It was more to be with her and um, arrived in Madrid and I fell on my feet, really. I started work with Interlang and I've been with them ever since. Wonderful. And what's made you stay all these years? Well, I suppose primarily personal reasons that things have worked out. I'm married now and I'm very happy. I like Madrid as a city. And I think the job itself, I, as I said, I fell on my feet. I started working for a professional school. Um, I stayed, I taught, and then I moved into the EFL management side. And I suppose, yeah, that job has kept me here, really. Perhaps you could summarize for the listeners what Interlang does as an academy. What's the core business? Yeah, our core business is in company. So adults, most of them really just want to improve their English. So general English, really. Uh, Work English. Yeah, so being able to use English in the work environment. So the main focus is on speaking. Yeah, they they really do want that to be the focus. Uh, Communication, fun. Spanish learners here are, especially in Madrid, they're quite demanding. So they they want to feel that they're getting a lot out of the class and they're having fun at the same time. So part of our role in Interlang is to make sure that we recruit the right sort of teachers to to be able to to provide that winning formula. And no doubt, Sean, you've been key during all these years in making that happen. 
what typical tasks are carried out in the recruitment process and for the ongoing development of teachers? So um, obviously looking for teachers, um, interviewing them, checking they know how to do the job, the whole employing them, getting them on board, so onboarding them with induction, and then very much dealing with making sure they're doing the job the way they should be. Um, so checking in with them, meeting with them, especially when they're new, a phone call, maybe now using Zoom or a face-to-face -face meeting to just, just check in with them, see how things are going. Observing classes as well. So especially new teachers, give them feedback. What else would I say? Yeah, when, well, when things go wrong, of course, you know, when there are complaints, you have to deal with, with that. So you do have to speak to teachers and draw their attention to things, whether it be admin or, or pedagogical. So, yeah, it would be very much hiring teachers, trying to allow teachers to develop um, in terms of development, informing them of events going on. Publishers regularly run training events Friday, Saturday, so keeping them up to date with those. Great. So really, you are the, uh, the best person to be on this podcast today, Sean, telling uh, these new teachers what can be expected of them. They're going to find some, some really useful information out of what you go through today. But you haven't always been this experienced. You were once a new teacher yourself. You were in the uh -huh. same boat that these listeners are in. So can you think back to that time? And what did you find most challenging when you were first starting out? Yeah, I mean, I first started out in Australia. So I did the, the CELTA IH London. And my very first job was teaching Japanese students in Sydney. And really looking back, you know, I mean, I was clueless. Um, taught a lot of Chinese who, who'd come in, 35,000 Chinese people came in at that moment to Australia. So I taught the Chinese. So I started off with Asian students, which were very different, of course, to the sort of students I taught at IH London, mostly Europeans. So that was a challenge, you know, just trying to get them to open up and speak. That was my main area of difficulty. So activities which would generate natural conversation. I think that's easier here in Spain. You know, the, the Spanish, average Spanish student is far more forthcoming. And really, that's what they're looking for here. They are looking to, to speak. So I think looking back there, that was definitely a challenge. You know, I remember being observed and some of the feedback I got back then was that the way you set things up, the way you, you, you set them tasks to do, you, I had to think it through far more carefully. As I just come off a TEFL course, you, you do, you're still keen and you're coming up with a lot of your own material. So probably some of the material I was coming up with was maybe not as engaging as it could have been, maybe not as relevant to them and their needs and interests as it could have been. So that was definitely something that, you know, looking back, as I said, you, you know, I shudder when I look back, but I learned a lot. Great, because I've got one final question for you with regards to you, Sean, before we, we uh, move on to the podcast content. Tell us something funny or embarrassing that has happened to you during your teaching career. Yeah, one thing always comes to mind, which is I've, I've done a lot of interviews. So I've interviewed a lot of teachers in the last 20 years. I don't know, hundreds, both amusing and um, unpleasant things have happened as well. But an amusing thing was that I was interviewing um, a British gentleman, an English teacher from England. And um, halfway through the interview, I think at that point, I was a little, let's say, chubby, maybe overweight. My shirt, the button gave way, popped off and flew across and hit him right on the forehead between the eyes. And the, the, the way we reacted was not to react, you know, that 
looking back, it was just so British. You know, we, I carried on with my next question. He didn't flinch and we finished the interview. <laughs> and uh, I showed him out. And then when I went back, found the button to bring home and sew back on. And it was only when I got out of the interview and I commented with my colleagues that we really, really had a good laugh about the whole thing, as probably he did with his friends. But it was just that sort of typical British stiff upper lip. Nothing's happened. Not going to comment on it. But uh, yeah, that always comes to mind. Oh, that's a brilliant story. Yes, I can imagine that that one won't leave, won't leave you for another 30 years. <laughs> yes. And hopefully nothing else quite as embarrassing has happened since. You probably learned from that. Did you sew all your buttons on your shirts extra tight after that, Sean? Yes. Yeah, yeah. we'll <laughs> lose a bit of weight. Do, do a bit of exercise. <laughs> <laughs> brilliant. <laughs> okay, so let's move on to the core of the podcast which I've already introduced anyway, is about offering advice on do's and don'ts in the classroom, which we feel is going to really help these new teachers really get to grips with what an academy is looking for. And of course, if they can do these things, then they're more likely to get invited back time and time again to give more classes. And that, of course, is the, the main goal for a new teacher. So, would you like to kick off, Sean? What are you going to kick off with first, the do's or the don'ts? Yeah, let's go through the do's. I mean, we put this list together based on several things. You know, one is feedback from students. Sometimes you get complaints from students, feedback from students, either a complaint, but also we run a couple of surveys, satisfaction surveys every year. So you, you pick up on things that students are saying there. And also feedback from teachers. So sometimes teachers will say, look, I have a problem with this. I'm not sure how to do that. But mainly observations, yeah? So going in and watching teachers do the job. There's nothing like being there and observing uh, how the whole thing pans out, yeah? So the first thing, perhaps, and this is um, a, a big complaint we get sometimes is that the teachers just don't correct their students, either not at all or very little. We never get complaints, the teacher corrects me too much. It's important to remember that that is one of their expectations, that they will be corrected. There are, there, there's a variety of ways of doing this, self-correction, drawing their attention to the mistake so they can self-correct, which often they can. Peer correction, if they can't self-correct, inviting one of their classmates to do so. Obviously, where, they, where there can't be self or peer because perhaps they just don't know. You get involved, you, you correct. Maybe it's on the spot because it's a controlled oral practice stage or, or it's key language. They need to get it right there and then. They can't continue continue to get it wrong because that's going to reinforce the error or maybe it's a they're in a fluency stage and you make a note and you give some feedback at the end on the whiteboard maybe you use feedback slips little bits of paper you write on but however you do it there needs to be correction throughout the class you need to think of how you provide that correction in a variety of ways to reflect different learning styles oral written on the board but it's got to be ongoing and, um, and as I said, if students don't get this feedback, if they don't get this correction, they're going to see that there's something missing. And uh, you can explain to them, you can let them in on why you're perhaps not correcting them at a particular stage in the class, because it's a fluency stage, you don't want to interrupt the flow, there's a communicative aim, but reminding them of the target language they should be using. And then, you know, come intervene at the end and, and give them uh, a feedback session. I think that's such a really interesting point, especially for these new teachers, because, of course, it's the, probably the thing that they're most scared about doing as a new teacher. 
because they don't have the confidence yet. In my experience in the TEFL course, people shy away from actually giving feedback. That's probably the one thing that they'll master everything else. But if there's one thing that we're always giving feedback to them on, which is you need to give more feedback and their feedback is always, Oh, I'm, you know, I'm still shy or I'm still not really a hundred percent convinced myself that I know what the mistake is. Any thoughts or advice on that? Yeah, I think you're right that the language awareness part comes with experience. So as you teach different structures and different areas of lexis pronunciation, you become more familiar with what the mistake is, why it was made and how to help them remedy it. Initially, you lack that. I think there's nothing wrong with being frank. You know, we're not going to try and pull the wool over their eyes and saying, you know, I'm I'm fairly new to this and I'm learning. So sometimes I may even have a doubt. We all have doubts about the English language. Don't shy away from it just because you're a little uneasy about the language awareness side. So yeah, I, uh, my recommendation would be even when you're new to the job is incorporate feedback. You can, you can think ahead and think, oh, they're going to find this tough. They're going to get this wrong. They're going to get it wrong. And how am I going to correct them? And how am I going to explain why it's wrong and what the right, uh, the correct language is? Yeah. I like that point. Thanks, Sean. Okay, next. I would say uh, the next is, is meaning. We sometimes have to get into the, the brains of our learners, you know. So how do we know? We can't just say, did you understand? Yes. You know, have you got that? Yes. We have to check, yeah. So we have to check understanding of meaning. Classic technique is to use CCQs, concept check questions, to check that they understand the concept they understand the meaning they understand when it's to be used they understand instructions yeah so keep the concept check question simple uh it's black and white it's yes or no um, i always let them in on the fact that i'm checking because maybe just one of the group hasn't understood or has misunderstood so sometimes they look at me like oh it's obvious why are you even asking the question so so tell them why do you use concept check questions because you do as a teacher have an obligation to check understanding to check they've got it and i even get students coming up with their own concept check questions yeah so eventually they let them in on the act how do you make them very simple yes no grade your language and they start asking each other's get them involved when new vocabulary appears is it this no is it that yes so that would be uh, the next point related to to meaning. I think that's a nice point as well, because sometimes when new teachers start teaching, they feel, although they've got the, the qualification, they don't feel they've got the experience to be in the room teaching. And with some of these students that they have, they've had other teachers and they've probably been having classes for years. So the teachers can feel that they they're not adding anything. But in this case, if they just follow the training that they've had to get their certificate and don't be afraid of doing the CCQs, then they can actually have a really good experience in the classroom and actually teach something to the, to the students that perhaps other teachers haven't done with them. So the idea of CCQs checking meaning, actually using it in the classroom can be really, really effective. I think it's effective, it's essential, it keeps students on their toes. Definitely, it's a technique that when I watch teachers teaching, a lot of them are not using. Uh, maybe they never learned to use it in the first place or they've forgotten. And now they just, you know, assume. We, we can't just assume. We need to check. That was a good one. Anything else on do's? 
Yes, I mean, I think, I mean, all students are looking for what they would call dynamic classes, yeah? So, I mean, do we need to go in jumping and shouting and singing and swinging off the chandelier? No, we don't. But we do need to be aware of what the class dynamic is. You know, th this is sort of a classroom management technique. They need variety, yeah? Even if it's just an hour class, you don't want to be banging away at the same thing for a whole hour. So we need to to keep our eye on varying different things. We need to vary interactions, yeah? So whether it's students working in pairs, changing those pairings, students working in groups, changing the groupings, students standing up, so the interaction is student to the rest of the class, maybe that student's presenting, open class, of course, open class, open pair activities to d demonstrate something. So two students are doing a dialogue in front of the rest, um, so that's one thing. We need to be varying the interactions. We also need to be varying the activities. What are they doing? Is this um, a reading comprehension? Is this a listening activity? Is it a writing activity? So there is a variety within that class of different activities to, to keep them engaged. Also the focus, yeah? What are they focusing on? Are they focusing on closing their eyes and listening to something? Is it a video? Are they looking at something on the whiteboard? Is the focus on me? Is the focus on another student giving the presentation? And the final thing I'd say is the pace. So you can't keep it at 100 miles an hour, yeah, for, for an hour. You'll be exhausted, they'll be exhausted. So varying the pace. Sometimes it's going to be quite quick. I want you to do this in a minute. Let's make it competitive. The first to finish is the winner. And sometimes you just want to slow it down. You know, take your time in pairs to prepare this. I'm going to give you 10 minutes and then we're going to act it out, yeah? So keep, keep an eye on those four things. Interactions, uh, activities, focus, and pace. Okay, good stuff. This is all great stuff, Sean. I'm loving this. Have you got any more that you think are imperative, Sean, in the classroom for do's? Yeah, I mean, there are other things, but one thing I've observed is that um, we're often giving instructions and they need to be clear. Yeah, so sometimes I think teachers rush the instructions. They assume oh, it's obvious and it isn't to the student, yeah? So we really need to think in the planning process of how we're going to communicate what it is that we want students to do. So slow them down, make them clear, grade your language, keep the language simple, check it. You know, am I asking you to do this? No, am I asking you to do this? Yes. And then maybe even demo it. So if it's um, something you're getting them to do, a pair work activity, maybe as an open pair, get Miguel and uh, Maribel to start doing the activity in front of the rest. If they're getting it right, the others are going to see, oh, this is what he wants us to do or she wants us to do. Yeah. So I would say instructions are key. And then if you have gone through that process and then as soon as you start monitoring, obviously one thing you're monitoring for is, is the language, but the other is task achievement are they doing what it is you've asked them to do and if they're not boom dive in maybe it's across the board they're all doing something different they're all getting it wrong stop them go back over the instructions and then set them off again doing the activity or maybe it's just a pair or a group in which case intervene no actually what i want you to do is this and set them doing it again excellent have we come to the end of the do's list sean there are more, but I think in terms of time today, I think we've covered the main ones. Great. Definitely the main ones that come up, as I said, when we get a complaint or when I go in and observe. I think these are the things that you really do need to focus on getting right. Fantastic. Well, so let's move swiftly on to what 
teachers shouldn't do in the classroom. So what are your list of don'ts? Yeah, one thing is that the, the teacher allows the class to become too teacher-centered, yeah? So there's too, too much teacher talk time. Everything revolves around them. Everything is led by you. So you need to um, try to move away from that. At times, you are going to be leading the class. You, you know, this is part of classroom management. That's what they expect, and, and you're there to, to organize it and, and run it and facilitate. But there are times when you can, you can hand over to um, other students maybe you could have someone in a hot seat that student's running a meeting maybe you can take a back seat you've set up a meeting and you move into a corner and you're just observing and making notes you've got students doing presentations obviously the typical interactions pair work group work means that it becomes less teacher centered more student centered so always think when you've done a class how much was was i speaking did i need to speak that much obviously you, you do you're going to model things you're going to give instructions you're going to give feedback you're going to correct but could the students have spoken more was it too led by me was it was the focus always on me could the focus have changed from me to to the learner one of the challenges i've always found on that point is that as a teacher the students quite often just talk to you so you start a conversation and it becomes back and forth between you and the students and you can get sometimes then involved in talking too much. What I've tried to do in many classes, albeit it can be challenging if there's not a big room, is try to set off a conversation and then take myself out of the equation. So instead of the students looking at me then to continue the conversation, they've got to interact with each other and they've got to talk to each other. So by doing that, sometimes I would, you know, physically turn myself away from the group or maybe I would get up and start writing something on the board so that they have to get on without me, go into a corner somewhere, move behind them, something like that, just to take myself out of the equation. Otherwise, I find that students can just keep that eye contact with you and want to keep interacting with you. And that takes away some of their student talk time. They're more reliant on you to fill the gaps. That's true. With smaller groups, you know, you might have two people. It's a challenge to, to vary the interactions there, but it's one that you have to insist on and explain perhaps why, why is it, you know, some students would say, well, what's the point of me talking to Miguel? Well, because, you're normally probably going to be interacting with other non-native speakers. So, uh, and I'm here as well. I'm observing, I'll be giving you feedback. So there will be something that's going to come out of this activity, but I don't have to necessarily be involved. I don't have to uh, be participating. Yeah. So I'm here, I'll be giving you feedback. Uh, and when they see that that happens and that the feedback that comes out of, for, for example, a pair work activity that two students do is very productive and very useful. Um, their resistance perhaps to interacting with each other in very small groups begins to, to disappear. Okay, other things that I've seen, I've sometimes seen students just taking a text, a reading text, and they just get students to read uh, aloud around the class. So the students are seeing a text for the first time and they're just being told, well, read it. So you read the first paragraph, Miguel, and then we'll continue around the class. This reminds me of when I was at school, you had 40 boys in the class. I went to an all boys grammar school and, um, and we had that sort of thing with Latin, French, German, even English literature. And I didn't find it too engaging. And I imagine the student just drift, the teacher just drifted off. So you have to always have an objective behind what it is you're doing. And here, if you put yourself in this, the 
the place of a student, you're read, you're having to read and understand, try to understand something at the same time. So you're trying to read aloud, which isn't a natural thing, you know, unless you're reading, um, if you're a, reading a teleprompter because you're a news announcer or, or you're reading a speech because you're a politician, we don't tend to just read text aloud. So that's the first thing. It's not a natural thing to get them to do. And then, of course, they're reading aloud perhaps things they don't understand, you know, new vocabulary, constructions, expressions. And to do both at the same time, it's like, you know, rubbing your stomach and rubbing your head and trying to coordinate. It's, it's difficult. I would avoid this. I would only say that once you've got them reading a text to themselves, whatever the objectives were, and you've analyzed vocabulary, grammar, and they're very familiar with the text, perhaps then you could look at because teachers often say, well, I do it for pronunciation. But I mean, to really work on the phonological aspects that that takes, then perhaps take some of the more difficult items, drill them, work on weak forms, work on linking, work on intonation, and maybe just take a couple of sentences and intensively work on that. Or maybe to take the text and think how they would transform it if they were uh, giving a speech, if they were uh, communicating it to somebody but I would def most definitely avoid that trap of just reading aloud around the class and then when as I said I ask teachers to justify it they say well it's to help them with the pronunciation often I've watched them do it and there is no effort to correct the pronunciation and the pronunciation can often be quite poor very monotone no no idea how to pronounce perhaps those unknown uh, lexical items so most definitely it's one of my um pet hates sure um, and i've i've even been in my my own classes learning spanish when my spanish teacher has done that for me and in that moment of reading it i just cannot digest the information at all i really have no idea what it is i'm reading i'm just focusing on trying to pronounce the words so it's i think it's quite challenging when it's not your native language to to read and absorb at the same time so it's worth thinking teachers thinking about that in that yeah reading out aloud doesn't mean that they are actually understanding it or able to absorb the information so it's it's quite a challenging thing to have to do so it's another good reason not to do it okay any more don'ts yeah i think this is something that happens a lot with adults not so much with kids but with adults uh, especially in company yeah, so you've got your aims, you've got your objectives, and you'll get a student, perhaps often the less conscientious type, the student who just wants a bit of a laugh and a joke. They don't really want to apply themselves and have to work. And they hijack or they try to hijack the class and uh, veer towards just what they want to talk about. That can happen with one-to-ones. It can happen with, with groups. It may be somewhat just one person in the group. So I think the best strategy there is say, look, Miguel's talking about this. I've planned today to, to cover these areas. Yeah. So I think it's always a good idea to make your plan, your objectives explicit. You know, the aim of today's class is ABC and then try to stick to it as much as possible. In the case of a one-to-one, -one, you know, the student might say, well, thank you. That's all well and good, but it's really, really important for me today to focus on this because I've got a meeting tomorrow and I need to be able to chair it. Fine. Okay. Let's put that off for another class and let's deal with this now, but don't just let them hijack it. Don't let somebody start talking about I don't know, football or maybe as a warmer that, you know, you can let things go back and forth for five minutes, but then you bring that to a halt and you say, okay, let's, let's crack on. Let's deal with what 
I plan to do today, which is, as I said, ABC. Oh, that's, that's such a good point. I have had many students like that. Uh, I've seen many students like that in classes I've observed as well. And it can be a little bit frustrating for the teachers because they want to let the people talk and they want to see it as good talk time. But it's, it is important to stick to the plan. And, and I, I like the phrase you use there, Sean, which is just saying to them, okay, well, I've got a plan today. Let's move on with that. And just nicely, subtly <laughs> nipping it in the bud and moving on. <laughs> this is a, yeah. a good technique. Yeah. I mean, you can have, I've had CEOs. I mean, I'm still the teacher and they're the student, you know, so yeah. ultimately our roles are established. Even you're, you're dealing with the, the president of the government, you know, and uh, this is, this is the plan that I had today. So you're actually showing them that you've prepared something. And if they, you know, you do decide to run with something because that's what they want to do. Well, then, of course, you you don't forget the fact that you're st it's still a language class. You're still going to correct them. You're still going to feed in new vocabulary and you're going to go back over it in the next class. Because if it was something they wanted to talk about, perhaps you could develop it in a, in a worksheet, in something you bring in in the next class. Last time we were talking about, you know, mountaineering, because that's obviously one of your passions. I brought something in related to that. And before we do that, Few corrections you know on the last class uh, related to mountaineering and some new vocabulary so you you still have that professional obligation to to basically do your job don't just let them as I said hijack the class take over and you take a back seat well I think Sean we've got time for one more don't on the list have you got something important you'd like to share another thing I would uh, sometimes observing teachers is I don't know whether it's because they're being observed and, and because they've set out uh, in a plan what it is they intend to do. And often, you know, it's people coming off a TEFL course, you know, I've got an hour, I'm going to do ABC and they feel they have to. Even though you've established your objectives, your main objectives, you don't have to feel a need to rush through things to cover them. So sometimes a teacher tells me I'm going to be doing these two pages and they rush through just to get through uh, whether it's a worksheet to get through a worksheet or to get through a couple of pages of a course book, take your time, you know, make sure it's solid, go back over things. Less is more. A, a student doesn't want to feel that, oh my God, I, I, I didn't really have a chance to take anything on board there. It was just, you know, one thing is pace. It's good to vary pace. But another thing is that you're cracking on and moving through things very, very quickly. For example, something, a typical mistake is you, you, you have an exercise, you check it, in a, as we mentioned before, in an in a, in imaginative and different sort of way, but then you don't exploit that exercise. Yeah. So uh, they've done the exercise. They now know how to, to, to do it, you know, as a gap fill, but let's see if we can take it to the next stage and they can use it communicatively. Let's exploit that. Let's consolidate that. Let's practice that. No need to rush. As I said before, thinking of different ways to check exercises, but also to exploit them. So once you've checked it, how can we get them practicing it? How can we move into a, another phase where they're using this language communicatively uh, and it's going to stick? And, and ultimately, that's what they want. They want to be able to use the language communicatively. I think that's great. If a new teacher has a class of an hour and a half, that really is a, a really great time to be able to do it. I know sometimes an hour can be very short on time to exploit lots of different activities and, and really just open up the class. But for sure, in an hour and a half class, I think that there's no reason why the, the teacher can't do that with, with some basic activities scheduled in the class. 
yeah you have in your planning phase uh you need to build in room for checking you know, so and also yeah. exploiting uh the practice and then if you've got a plan you think well at minimum i'm going to do a b and if time i'll do a b c d but c d maybe it doesn't happen it can happen in another class or maybe it just ends up not happening but you you have to build in that flexibility but it should never feel as though you're rushing as i said you're going to vary the pace there'll be times when things pick up and it becomes competitive you set time limits but it, it isn't just a gallop from start to finish yeah and again going back to the fact that these are new teachers listening that will come with some experience at the moment in starting they'll probably be quite rigid to their plans they'll want to go through the all the process that they've been taught uh, during their course but over experience they can start to relax a little bit with those things and and start to as you say exploit the information so I guess the the advice there for teachers is to give that a go, planning a little bit less, planning less activities and start to open up and exploit the, the information that they have in front of them. And then review that as self-development. Think back to how did that go? What can I do better next time? And they'll get more experience with that and more confident at it. Exactly. I mean, of course, they're going to have a plan because on a, on a CELTA, you, do, you, you, know, you have your plan, you stick to it, you're observed. I always say to teachers, we teach people, not material. So it's very important to have a heads up approach and to be observing your learners to how are they reacting to things? Is it going down? Well, do they look bored? Do they look confused? I'm not just thinking I've got to get through these two pages of the course book because that's what I set out to do. No. Is it going down? Well, are they enjoying it? Do they want to spend more time on this? Perhaps this is going to have to get dropped are they doing so well in this area that I don't need to do the ex next exercise because they, they know it very well. So let's just jump ahead. Of course, all this comes with experience, but I think from the very word go, you know, you, you, you've learned to approach planning and executing a lesson in a way that's going to allow you to, 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 to pass a teaching course. When you get out there, it's to to very much uh, use that space and you're, you're now alone with your students to to react to the situation think going to drop this or going to spend more time there this isn't going down well at all let's let's just interrupt here and let's yeah. move on or something that you say hey i it's this has gone on now long enough they, but they're still enjoying it but i'm going to stop because we have other things i'd like to do but um it's as i said it's just don't feel you have to get through everything, you know. I mean, I've asked teachers, why did you rush it? Because um, I had a worksheet to get through. What was your objective? To get through a worksheet. That shouldn't be your objective, you know, or to get through unit one of a book. That shouldn't be your objective. So that would be my last piece of advice. One of the things that I would say in summary um, of what you've been saying, Sean, is that the new teachers need to remember they are the teacher in the room. So they've just got to learn to have some confidence, I think, to manage the class in the ways that you've talked about, get up, do things, be maybe a bit flexible with the materials. It's a lot about confidence, I think, for new teachers. They are the ones that have just completed their course. They may not have loads of experience, but they've been taught in the very best way. They've passed the course, so they know what to do. They've just got to have the confidence to do it, I think, and learn along the way and, and then be open to trying different things as well. 
I think these courses are pointing the teacher in the right direction. Thank you so much, Sean, for, for coming today. That's just been some really invaluable advice for our new teachers. I think they're going to get some, um, some really good things out of that. So thank you very much. Thank you, Andrea, for, for having me. You're welcome. <laughs>